Chapter 7 Political Ecology by Susan Paulson, Center for Latin American Studies, University of Florida. This entry focuses on an approach to research and practice that is applied throughout the world and identified in Anglophone literature as political ecology. The number of researchers and practitioners engaging in political ecology has increased exponentially since the 1980s, broadening the field and opening new possibilities. Little energy goes into establishing orthodoxy or debating who should be labeled political ecologist, a term used here to refer to all participants in what Paul Robbins 2011 describes as a community of practice advancing in the field, quote, as an intellectual investigation of the human environment interaction and as a political exercise for greater social and ecological justice. End of quote. In contrast to certain isms and ists, political ecologists share with degrowth advocates an eagerness to explore a plurality of knowledges and a diversity of practical actions, including those of non dominant groups. Geographers Pierce Blakey and Harold Brookfield in 1987 marked political ecology as an approach that combines ecology and political economy to address relations between society and land-based resources and between social groups and classes with differing access to and use of those resources. Theirs and other rural studies in the Global South were later complemented by studies in northern contexts and in cities, conceived as, quote, dense networks of interwoven socio-spatial processes that are simultaneously local and global, human and physical, cultural and organic, end of quote. Swingendo and Hainan, 2003, page 899. In their 2011 volume, Global Political Ecology, Richard Peet, Paul Robbins and Michael Watts integrate these trends into environmental politics of production, consumption and conservation worldwide. While degrowth and political ecology both address the destruction of specific socio-ecologies, the latter has pushed further to explore the ongoing production of natures and cultures. Arturo Escobar, 2010, describes the field as evolving in three overlapping stages. The first analyzes political, economic factors and environmental degradation. The second explores epistemological processes through which cultural, scientific and political conceptualizations and discourses impact human-nature relations. And the third raises ontological questions about processes through which a multiplicity of socio-natural worlds are produced and reproduced. These epistemological and ontological explorations can help degrowth scholars to think in new ways about the concept, mode of production, not conceptualizing natural resources as finite givens, in danger of being exhausted, but as aspects of socio-ecological environments that are continually constructed through cultural and historical processes. In this view, humans manufacture not only food, shelter and clothing, but also biophysical landscapes, together with regimes of production, consumption and environmental knowledge and governance. Most amazingly, we humans produce ourselves. Human bodies socialized with skills, visions and desires, including appetites for consumption. 
This leads to more sophisticated understandings of consumption that do not separate putative physical necessities from cultural choices. For humans, all aspects of life are inseparably material and meaningful. The most basic physical desires, such as eating and sex, are always imbued with symbolic meaning and value, while even our subjective fantasies and political visions depend on the biochemical character and physical size of the human brain. One of degrowth's biggest challenges is the narrow cultural scope and shallow historical depth that circumscribe contemporary environmental discourse, constraining our potential to visualize alternatives to currently dominant human-environment relations. In response to this challenge, political ecologists have drawn on research documenting arrangements not based on growth, some of which endured over centuries, even millennia. Anthropologists, archaeologists and geographers working in the Andes and Amazon, for example, have shown how surprisingly large populations have been sustained through raised field agriculture, terracing, swidden, vertical archipelagos and other strategies based on elaborate system for organized reciprocity and managing the commons. They have also asked what disturbed certain systems in given periods. Political ecologists such as Bina Agarwal, working in South Asia, and Anna Tsing in Indonesia, continue to ask these questions with attention to the production and maintenance of common wealth, such as forests. Challenges to ethnocentric parameters of economic science are vital. Starting in the 1970s, for example, critical interpretation of data from a range of primitive societies enabled Marshall Salins to argue in Stone Age economics that hunter-gatherers conceive and achieve affluence in different ways from Western societies, the former by desiring little and enjoying leisure, the latter by producing and consuming much. Hunter-gatherer systems have endured for 150,000 years of human history and agriculture-based ones for around 8,000. In contrast, industrial fossil fuel economies seem to be in jeopardy after only a few centuries. The purpose of deeply historical approaches to political ecology, like those compiled by Eil Fornborg, Brett Clark and Kenneth Hermeler, 2012, is not to promote a return to primitive life. On the contrary, cross-cultural and prehistorical knowledge helps to relativize currently dominant systems among many possible modes of human existence and to widen horizons for imagining unprecedented futures in answers to questions like how can non-expanding economies sustain human societies and how can humans live without the motivation and joy provided by consumer culture. Environmental scientists and policymakers need more powerful ways of conceptualizing and operationalizing multiscale analysis, social differentiation, and most vitally, power. How do we link together phenomena ranging in scale from individual voluntary simplicity to global markets, national economies, socio-political institutions, and biophysical characteristics of local ecosystems? By locating environmental phenomena at the crossroads of multiple relations of power, political ecologists have expanded the scale of environmental analysis to transcend geographic locales and local populations. It is now recognized that transnational factors ranging from climate change and fish stock depletion to markets and media affect even the most isolated socio-ecologies. 
Also, new awareness is dawning that people involved in local environmental struggles engage global forces and ideas in innovative and sometimes transformative ways, such as the concept of Buen Vivir, expressed at the People's Climate Summit in Bolivia. From the start, political ecology was grounded in analysis of socio-economic and spatial inequalities and early in the foregrounded the environmental interests, knowledge and practices of diverse actors. With time, political ecologists like Juanita Sundberg and Diane Rochelot developed deeper analysis of the way in which ethno-racial, gender and other social systems interact with environment, moving beyond a focus on the identities of marginalized people to study identity systems that work through time and space to engineer and justify inequitable access to and exchange of resources. A more systematic grasp of the role of hierarchical identity systems play in the constitutions of economies, landscapes and environmental governance is needed to deepen dialogue among degrowth, political ecology, eco-feminism, environmental justice and related movements and to strengthen the impact of their work. How do power and politics function in the production of commodities, discourses and socio-ecologies? During a tumultuous period in intellectual history, political ecology developed in tandem with critical explorations of colonialism, international development, environmental history, race, ethnicity and gender. These new areas of study interrogated key foundations of Western academia, the dichotomy between nature and culture, the universality of reason, and of Homo economicus, the adequacy of conventional disciplines and the neutrality of Western scientific categories and findings. Their investigations of power and anticipated places, notably in the production of knowledge, provoked considerable strife in academia. It also enabled political ecologists such as Alf Hornburg to theorize power as both material and meaningful, expressed through unequal control of resources, including human labor and energy, and exercised in the formation of social systems through which these inequalities are maintained, notably via cultural mystifications that naturalize social constructs such as the power of the machine and the representation of labor and nature as commodities. Among all these creatures interacting in the earth ecosystems, humans are unique in their use of politics and attempts to meet their needs and to assure their descendants' survival. These politics influence how power circulates in particular regimes of knowledge, technology and representation and how those dynamics influence social and biophysical outcomes. Political ecology's multi-scale analysis of power and politics, together with its awareness of the magnitude of variation in human-environment relations, are vital arms in the struggle to decolonize imaginations confined to business as usual. Degrowth evolved out of the multidimensional, philosophical and sociopolitical Franco-European movement called l'écologie politique, which has debated the relations between politics and ecology since the 1970s and included the likes of André Gorge, Ivan Illich and Bernard Charbonneau, all foundational degrowth thinkers. Degrowth today flourishes further through its alliance with the second variant of political ecology described here. Both degrowth and political ecology challenge dominant interpretations of the causes of environmental problems. Both 
contest the prevalent technocratic and economistic responses. Both are critical of sustainable development and the promotion of commodification in its name. And both motivate political and practical action toward more equitable distribution of economic and ecological resources and risks. <laughs>